Welcome to the Retire While You Work podcast here in Nashville, Tennessee. We believe the concept of retirement in this country is fundamentally broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious moments. I'm David Adams. I'm Carson Odom. I'm Miles Zuger. And together, as a team of certified financial planner professionals and CPAs, we're committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset, using our three-bucket approach to managing money and finding creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join us as we discuss a variety of financial topics and ways to help us change the way we think about time and money and which one of these is the true currency. Hello, this is Carson and Miles. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Back again for another episode of the Retire While You Work podcast. Thanks for joining and listening. I think today, me and Miles are going to discuss a little bit about education and paying for education. There are a lot of different ways to pay for education, a lot of different types of education. Um, So we'll use our time today to discuss pros and cons and all the different ways you can you can pay for and this school. is all levels of education. So we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about K through twelve, and then secondary education, which is considered, you know, anything after high school. So college, maybe a trade school, um, all the way through a master's degree or even a potential doctorate degree. Yeah. So, give a little background, Miles. Where'd you grow up in school? Did you go to private or public school? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up small town, so really our only option was a public school. Um, you know, Carson and I were debating this before the we hopped on here, but I do feel like there was some cost, although it was probably a couple hundred bucks to enroll, nothing crazy. Um, and then, yeah, all, my entire uh, K through 12, same small high school, I think I graduated with like, you know, 40 some kids and it was a public school. So definitely a small town setting, but, uh, yeah, all of my education was public school. Same here. I went to a elementary school K through three, and then I transferred to a magnet school and, um, had a 20 minute drive to school every day. So I went to a magnet school, fourth grade through eighth grade, I think. And then I went back to just my public high school, Smyrna high school. I think we had a graduating class of a little over 400 kids. And at the magnet school, we had 50 students per grade. So it was a little bit of a change. Um, plus none of the kids in my middle school ended up going to my high school. So that was, that was a big change. Um, and then personally I went to middle Tennessee state university, a public in-state school for my undergrad in accounting and my master's degree in finance. And I, um, what about you miles? Yeah, I went to a public school. Um, I'm like a mid-sized university in Wisconsin called the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. And it was public. Uh, the nice thing was, though, is that it was kind of in the southwestern corner of the state. So if you were from, so rather than paying out-of-state tuition, if you were from uh, Minnesota, Iowa, or Illinois, they had an initiative called the Tri-State Initiative. Hmm. And it was, rather than paying full out-of-state tuition, it was somewhere you didn't pay out-of-state tuition, you didn't pay in-state tuition, it was somewhere in the middle. So That's pretty cool. It was able to save, um, you know, go to public school and save a little bit as far as not having to pay out-of-state tuition. For sure. 
That's cool. I think nowadays we have a lot of conversations about, we can kind of start our, with, uh, start our conversations with primary school. So kindergarten through high school, um, a lot of people have public school as the way they're being brought up, but also there's tons of private schools, especially here in Nashville. And a lot of people choose to send their kids to private school. And I think probably, well, let me back up, not probably, but you can cash flow it. I feel like we see that in the most frequently K through 12 education, even if it's private education, cash flowing each and every year. Um, and I think part of the reason is, let's say you have a kid, you immediately fund a 529. Unless you have an extremely high income, most don't have the ability to save and invest in a 529 to immediately start pulling money out in kindergarten to help pay for private school. Um, plus, and, it's capped it, at $10,000 per year. And for, part of the benefits to the 529 is the tax-deferred growth that you get. So That's right. You, you know, in those first couple of years, you probably, you know, depending on what the market does, you might be better off to just have cash flowed anyways. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, you don't want to start saving when your kids are about to start in school, then immediately start pulling money out to pay for that um, private school when they're in kindergarten. Um, so I think usually... Most people view their savings as a long-term savings and really for secondary education, but there are circumstances where uh, one of the benefits of a 529 is you can change the beneficiary on an account. So let's say someone has a 529, they never use it all, and they and a parent transfers it down to grandkids maybe when they come along. So there could be a large 529 account that's available for a grandchild, that would be a circumstance where, where it's been growing for decades and you just have a lot of excess money in a 529, you could start to pull out 10 grand a year for K through 12 education. That would be a, a, a pretty wise uh, circumstance to start pulling money out. Um, but I, w I would say we don't see that a ton though. I think it's a nice feature to be able to have, but like Carson said, a lot of people, uh, it does seem like, you know, they're either sending their kids to public school and cash flowing it or kind of that K to 12 range. They're either, um, you know, maybe a combo of that, of a 529 plan and some cash flowing, or also know some of the, you know, private high school, elementary schools around here offer some sort of financial aid. If it's, um, important for you to send your kids to one of those schools. Um, and then, I mean, I think the other thing, a lot of people around, uh, you know, being in Nashville here, a lot of where people live, uh, is based upon schools. And I know there's a lot of people that move out of, you know, the Metro Nashville Davidson County area to maybe Wilson County or Williamson County, because the schools tend to be a little better, a little bit better out there. And then, you know, for the most part, school's free because your tax dollars are funding that for you. That's right. That's right. Um, but a recommendation for anyone who has kids or, um, is wanting to get started with education. There are a few different routes that you can go to start saving for education. So as we've mentioned it already, one of the most common ways is what's called a 529 plan. And they are um, kind of complex. Um, each state has their own 529 plan. And the reason is a lot of states, if the state has a state income tax, will give you a tax deduction, a state tax deduction for contributions you put in that state's 529 plan. So for example, we live in Tennessee. We don't have a state income tax. Therefore, if you use Tennessee's 529 plan, 
it, it, it doesn't matter necessarily because you're not getting a state income tax deduction because there's no income tax. Yep, you're just able to use whatever, there's a 529 plan sponsor you like out there, you're just able to use whatever one because there is you know, truly no tax benefit. That's right, you could open up a 520. No immediate tax benefit, I should say. That's right, that's right. Uh, you could open up one in the Washington state 529 plan and they're all minimally different. They all have their differences. Um, they all attempt to accomplish the same goal of allowing you to invest for future education and um, get the benefit whenever you pull the money out tax-free if it's used for education. Um, and that's something that we're more than happy to walk through and make that decision uh, with talk through the pros and cons of different states. But for example, if you live in another state that does have a state income tax and you contribute to, you live in that state and you contribute to that state's 529 plan, then you get a deduction for every dollar you contribute. Each state's different, so of course I can't make a over, overarching statement for all states, um, but that's generally how they're set up. So that's that's the most common way we see clients and uh, saving for education is through a 529 plan because it's also pretty flexible. Um, you have you designate a beneficiary, and as long as you pull money out and use it for qualified education expenses, the benefit is tax-free growth. So for an easy example, you put a thousand bucks in, it grows to $2,000 by the time you pull it out and use for their education for college one day. That thousand dollar gain is completely tax-free because you used it for a qualified education expense. Yeah, I think the easiest way to think about it is, um, for people that aren't familiar with the 529 plans, is it's very similar to a Roth IRA, the way a Roth IRA operates. The only difference is that obviously Roth IRA, you can use that money for whatever you want. With the 529, it does need to be tied back to education expenses, but that's not just tuition or books. Um, you know, you can use it for a laptop for your, your child or room and board as well. So like Carson was saying, not only is the investments and the tax-free growth nice, but it is pretty flexible as far as what an actual education expense is that you can can use that for. And obviously you can't go extremely out of the box and start using it for, you know, clothes and things like that um, that aren't needed. But as I, I do actually believe that, you know, if you're using this for K through 12, I think if, um, and I could be wrong on this, but I do believe that if school uniforms are required, that is a like a, an expense that's necessary so you can use it on things like that. But, um, you know, best to use it for things that are actually tied back to school, like computers, books, tuition, um, room and board, et cetera. Yep, that's right. Um, so that's a 529. We've also seen clients um, kind of view a con. I guess, yeah. Well, go ahead. Before we move on, I was gonna talk about um, the limits to yeah. why they are attractive as well. So uh, they follow the gifting limits for the most part. So, you know, gifting limit for 2022 here is $16,000 now. So like each, so anybody could into a 529 give $16,000. So two parents combined, that adds up to $32,000 on an annual basis. Um, if grandparents wanted to be generous, they could also give that much into a 529. So you can really, uh, get a lot of money into a 529 if, if you have the means to. Um, but, you know, but I would say typically what we see most people do is maybe they fund it with a couple thousand bucks to get it started and then each month they're doing you know somewhere as low as 50 to maybe $500 to continue to build that up, especially for younger kids. And then the other, if you really wanted to put a lot of money in there, there is a, you can do five years of the limit. So you could do $16,000 times five. Um, 
which is, I believe, $81,000 if my math is correct. 80 grand, right? 80 grand? Yeah, 80 grand. 80 grand. It was easy when it was just 15 because it went right to 75. Yeah. No, my math was a little little rusty there, but um, it you can do that in five years and then you just have it front loaded and then you are obviously not able to contribute um, until a year rolls off of there is how it would work. But you know, if you wanted to really stuff some money because you knew your kid was going to go to Harvard, you could really just put that money in on the front end and let it grow tax deferred and then pull it out tax free when they did start education. Yep. Um, that's right. I think so, Carson, you were going to talk about some of the cons then. Yes. One of the cons is what happens, we get the question a lot, what happens when you fund a 529 for your kid and one of two things happens. Either they go to a trade school and it costs drastically less than what an out-of-state you know, private education might cost or um, they don't go to school and they don't need all this money you saved up. What can you do? What are your options? So. First, you can change the beneficiary of the 529 account. So if you have a younger sibling that's gonna need a lot of uh, money for education, you can change it over to that younger sibling. Or there are certain relatives that you're allowed to change a beneficiary to. You can always change it to certain relatives or keep it in the, in the account and pass it down to a future generation like your grandchild one day if you wanted. But the con is once the money's in a 529, it's supposed to be used for education. So if you wanna pull the money out use it for yourself, let's say, then there are taxes and penalties you have to be aware of. So for example, if you use my example earlier, you put in a thousand, it grows to 2000, all of a sudden you wanna pull it out and use it for yourself personally, not use it for actual education. You would owe taxes on the gain, which that's normal, you would owe taxes if you invested in a brokerage account anyway, but also you'd owe a 10% penalty on the gain. So it's not the end of the world, it's not just this awful, tax penalty and burden to pull money out of a 529, but it is something to be aware of. So because of that, we see some clients choosing to invest in just a regular old taxable brokerage account. Because from their viewpoint, the freedom they get from a taxable brokerage account compared to a 529 outweighs the tax-free benefits. Because if they invest in a joint brokerage account, you pay taxes every single year along the way, and whenever your kids are ready for college, you can use all the money in the joint brokerage account if you want, or you could leave it, let it stay invested if your kids don't need it for their education and let it keep growing, as compared to a 529 where once you put the money in, you really need to and should use it for education. Yeah. And people are doing that, they're earmarking the money, so they're, you know, maybe they have their main joint account that they're saving into uh, together, but then they open up another one and say, hey, this is for uh, little Johnny's college, um, that we're going to earmark here just to set aside so that it is separated so that we see we see it and we identify it there to cover a goal that's not necessarily, um, you know, our expenses or retirement planning. That's right. I don't think one's better the, than the other. It's definitely just a personal decision on um, kind of the how flexible do you want to be with the money you're saving for education. Um, and I think there is probably one more and that's what's called the UTMA account, a UTMA Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. I mean, we are, we are seeing some people do this. This is for those that do want to give money to their children, um, but not necessarily have it tied in the, the college savings plan in case the kids don't go to school. So essentially what this is, is it operates really like a savings account, but you are able to invest the money in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. Um, now the, the thing with this is that it is technically the 
the child's account. So the parents are making a gift to them. So again, it does follow the gifting limits. Um, and at the age of 21, it does technically become the child's account. So, um, you know, and, and then the way the, and then if you wanted to pull money out and use it for college, you're able to, um, you just have to show that it was for the benefit of the children. So it does provide some more flexibility. I think one of the biggest cons to these types of accounts is that they are very tax inefficient. Um, they can be taxed at the parents' marginal tax rate. So if you're high income earners, um, and so that's something to be aware of if utilizing this as well, but it is a good way to, you know, I think the old school was, and we don't see this anymore, but I know I had relatives buy me savings bonds when I was a kid, so the EE e, e savings bonds and, or put money into a savings account. If you know, don't want money just sitting there in cash for your kids, this is a way to have it invested and ideally growing and earning a higher rate of return than it is sitting there in a savings account. Yeah. So I think moral of the story is there's various ways you can save for education. Um, there's no perfect way. Plus, there's also no perfect way to know exactly how much money you're going to need. Or um, there's no way to know what your kids or grandkids are going to grow up and want to do with their education. So it's all planning. It's planning off the things that you know now for the future. And that's what we're here to help. Everybody's situation is different. And that's what we love doing is working with people to determine what's going to be the best situation and best, best solution for you. Um, so we're always happy to answer more questions about education, um, and what route might be the best for you and your family. Yep. I think the biggest thing is that, you know, education costs are rising at, you know, historically these last few years here, they have risen at higher rates than even inflation. You know, when we're, when we're planning with clients, we're factoring in, uh, education, higher education costs going up by 6% or more a year just to factor into that. And, you know, there's a lot of private schools that are pretty expensive. So if that's somewhere that you see your kids going, um, obviously scholarships are potentially another option for paying for college, but out-of-pocket costs are much higher than an in-state school or um, just a public school. And so as Carson was alluding to there, the only thing that you can control is the planning around it and putting a good plan in place, which is, you know, what we do for clients and help them out. So, you know, the earlier you start planning, the the better it is to have that goal in mind and realize what you're saving for. That's right. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to being back on our next episode. Cool. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the retire while you work podcast. I'm Carson Odom, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. Any opinions are those of myself and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities market or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor's situation is unique and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services.
please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional.